let me just get this out of the way. Last night, I went to bed after the first half and woke up delighted. I just wanted to say that was frustrating. It felt like I watched, there were, there were two different ball games, the first half and the second half. Okay, that aside, let's get on to the Christmas carols. Uh, this is kind of fun. I've always wanted to do this, go through some Christmas carols and talk about them. I've seen it done before, grateful to Summit Church, Life Church for the idea they've given us, but I've seen it done other places. And so what we want to do is just sort of go through a few of the Christmas carols we're very familiar with. And sometimes it's easy to glide over the words, glide over the phrases, and never really think about, okay, what does this mean for my life? And how can this encourage me? And how can it challenge me? And so we're going to get into some of the deeper, more profound Christmas carols. Like, for example, I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus with Jimmy Boyd. Grandma got run over by a reindeer, one of our favorites. And then, of course, uh, one that maybe some people don't know, but the night Santa went crazy. Deep theology here, and we're going to kind of explore each one. Actually, the difference between a Christmas song, and there are so many, and a Christmas carol is a Christmas carol has a sacred quality to it. For, so for real, some of our favorites, some of your favorites, the first Noel, what does Noel mean? Uh, joy to the world. Now, if you grew up in the 70s, this is not the Three Dog Night version. I just feel that song going through my mind right now. Uh, but today, what we're going to look at is Away in a Manger. Growing up as a kid, up through high school, I remember Every Christmas, we had carolers come to our door. Did you do that or have that happen? To you? I don't think we've ever had carolers come to our door uh, since we've been around here or even in the Akron area. But I always loved it. I'd, I'd go out with them, and uh, sometimes we'd ring the doorbell, and, uh, and they'd, before they'd even answer, we'd start singing, and sometimes they'd invite us in for hot chocolate or whatever and maybe join us. But I, I remember, too, like into the second, third, fourth stanza, I didn't know the words, so I just like, mouthed it, you know, as a kid. I just said, watermelon, watermelon, watermelon. And just, it looked like I knew the words. Well, uh, that's the way it was with Away in a Manger, too. And maybe that's true for you as well. So let's, let's look at the, all of the words so we're familiar at the same time. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. Would you like me to sing the whole thing for you? I don't know why I'm not in the choir. I really should be. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the heavens looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. Next stanza. The cattle are lowing. Moo. The baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I love thee, Lord Jesus. Look down from the sky and stay by my side until morning is nigh. Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask thee to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care and fit us for, he for heaven to live with thee there. Isn't it? It's such a sweet melody, isn't it? It sounds like a lullaby. It sounds like something you would sing to your child as they're going to sleep. And in fact, uh, for years, it was known as Luther's Lullaby Hymn or Luther's Lullaby Carol, thought to have been written by Martin Luther, the famous German theologian reformer back in the 1500s. It was thought that he wrote it for his children, and then it was passed over the years, decades, centuries, to German mothers who would sing it to their children. And you can see why. It speaks of the little Lord Jesus and blessing the little children. It's a sweet, sweet lullaby. And then uh, 
many years later, as researchers got into it, they discovered that Martin Luther did not write this song. In fact, it wasn't until the late 1800s it was composed by a guy by the name of Kirkpatrick. You can find all this on Wikipedia. Uh, but, but it's not like we're, we're trained to think this in seminary, like uh, where these hymns come from. No, not at all. And then later on, it was added to. Uh, and, but, but regardless of the history and the research and all of that, it remains, for me personally, but maybe for you, one of the most cherished, beloved uh, Christmas carols of all time. And, and I think for good reason, too. You know, in this carol, we'll find... Um, Although Joseph and Mary are not mentioned, just their faithfulness in finding a place to give birth to their baby. Um, we, we, we hear the, the, the prayer that Jesus would bless the little children and, and that Jesus, that you will make a place for me in heaven. The, the idea of the humility of Jesus being born in a manger and that humility continues through his adult life. It is a beautiful, beautiful carol. Away in a manger. Now, I do have a question, and I have a concern related to uh, this particular carol. The question is this, and it's related to one line in the carol. Ready? The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Okay, the question is this. Do any of you young parents believe that Jesus did not cry? I've always wondered that. And in fact, theologians have actually picked this carol apart, saying, look, Jesus is fully God and fully human. If he's fully human, he cried. Okay, that out of the way. Let me get to the concern, all right? The concern has to do with with a phrase that occurs several times in this particular carol, and it is this, the little Lord Jesus. Now, he was little, true. Lord, true. Named Jesus, true. Here's here's the concern. So many people live with that image of Jesus their entire life. The little Lord Jesus in a manger, forever, you know, in swaddling clothes, eight pounds, six ounce, you know, golden fleece diaper. And we sing about Jesus and we talk about Jesus at Christmas time. Good, done. We, We pull Jesus out of a box. And put him into a a nativity scene, done. Ornamental, decorative Jesus, done. And then it's all, and then it's all over. Is that that all there is to Jesus? Just a Christmas baby? Well, the reality is he grew up to be a man. (laughs) He grew up to be an adult. He went on to live the perfect life that you and I could never live, and then to absorb your sin and my sin, onto himself on the cross so that we could be reconciled with God. We just talked about it at communion. So we could be reconciled with God, and anybody who puts their faith in Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life with the Father. And Scripture says, Now he sits at the right hand of the Father, ready to come again, as I learned early in my church days, to judge the quick and the dead. Maybe you know those terms. And everything and everyone, including you and I, are under his watchful eye. And he was a Lord as baby, as, he, as a baby. He was the, the Lord as an adult. He's the Lord today. 
and he will be the Lord forever. The reality is Jesus is Lord, and that's what we want to talk about. 740 times Jesus Christ is referred to as the Lord somewhere, and this is the very first time. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. Jesus is Lord then and today and forever. And I want to talk about that. But more specifically, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Lord of my life? What does it mean for Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Not just the little Lord Jesus, but the Lord. And so of those 740 occurrences, I kept thinking, what do I do? I just cobble together different verses and show us what it means for Jesus to be Lord. And then one passage just kept coming back to mind, and it's the passage we find, it's the, it's the set of verses we find at the very end of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a message Jesus gave probably over a two- or three-day period, but in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, we have what we need to know. And in those words, Jesus teaches us what it looks like for somebody to obey God with a genuine, sincere heart. And he's very clear that it's easy just to play the part, to be a poser, and not live the part. And and these are the words of Jesus at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Now there's a lot there we could unpack. Let me just say this. Essentially, Jesus is saying, you have the talk. Where's the walk? You you talk the part. Do you walk the part? I watched a commercial the other day. It was a pro football player, and in the commercial he said, I didn't make the Hall of Fame just by being all talk. And then it goes on to explain that he really showed up on the field of play. And I just wonder, does my walk with Christ match my talk? (laughs) Do I live my life as if Jesus is Lord? Or do I live my life as Jesus is still just the little Lord Jesus in the manger? Now after this passage where Jesus says some strong words, he ends the Sermon on the Mount with these words. And it shows the benefits of living as if Jesus is Lord, but not just that, how to live as if Jesus is Lord. We want to get into that. These are the words that he finishes with. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. I want my life to be built on the rock, on the Lord, on his teaching. But how do you do that? And I think there are at least three things that we learn from the very first sentence in what we just read. 
First of all, we start with acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. This is what Jesus said. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is, a, is wise like a person who builds a house on the rock. He says, my, my teaching. It's not your horoscope. It's not other religious teachings. It's not other philosophies of life. He says, my. Now, how can he say, my? Because Jesus is Lord. Lord is not a, a term that we use very frequently here in the U.S., but in England they do. And back in the days of the Roman Empire, they did. Caesar was Lord. In fact, you could be a Christian back in those days and walk around and say, Jesus is God. No problem. But if you said Jesus is Lord, you're done. Only Caesar was Lord. The Lord was the absolute ruler. And Jesus alone has the ability, the authority to to give you new life, to reconcile you with God. Do you know this verse? It's one of my favorites. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You want to understand what it means? You hear on TV, be saved. Well, it's, it's true. How are we rescued by God? We admit that Jesus is Lord. That brings us salvation. But Jesus wants to be more than our Savior. He wants to be the Lord of our lives, the absolute ruler. Do you know this verse in Psalm 24? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. He rules over everything, including you and me, whether you know it or not. Jesus created you and me for himself. And he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he loves us more deeply than we can imagine. And he wants what's best for our lives, and he gets to define what best is. <laughs> he doesn't want to be the Lord of our lives only on Sunday morning. He wants to be the Lord of our lives wherever we find ourselves. I used this illustration a number of years ago, so forgive me if this is familiar with you, but there's an orange and there's a peach. <laughs> the Christian life is not meant to be an orange. It's meant to be a peach. When you peel an orange, what do you find? You find sections. Sometimes we go through the Christian life and we think, oh, God, is, God thinks that, that what's important is going to church and prayer and reading my Bible. But, but he's not concerned with when I go to the gym or my home life or my job or my sleep or whatever it is. Christian life is meant to be a peach. God is concerned about all parts of our lives. Every part of our life is important to God. It's not just going to church and reading my Bible and prayer. It's going to the gym. It's my sleep time. It's my thought life. It's what I look at. It's, it's where I go. It's my efforts out in the community. We're called to be peaches, not sectioned off like oranges. So, so let me ask you, when you're out in the community, when you're at the workplace, when you are wherever you are, do you, you see yourself like a peach? <laughs> do you see yourself like an orange? Or, or better question, when God looks at you, does he see a peach or does he see an orange? Is he Lord or is he just the little Lord Jesus? Sectioned off. 
I, I brought my Bible up here. This is the one I've used for a lot of years. Now, last week I brought up my, the very first Bible I ever owned. But this is, this is the Bible I've had for a lot of years. I've taken it everywhere. It's just filled with notes and names and all of that. I just I love this Bible. But about four years ago, I lost Revelation. That's the very lo- the last book of the Bible. Revelation fell out, which means I didn't know how the story ended. And I, it was really a bummer because I'd go places, it'd be embarrassing, pages would fall out. And, uh, and so I love it so much that I, that I sent it away and got it rebound. The, the binding was so bad. And now Revelation's back in my Bible. I'm so happy to know that. Now I know how the story ends. And I can tell you how the story ends. That everybody in the universe will one day recognize that it's not Jesus the little baby, it's Jesus the Lord who reigns over everything, and one day he will come again. The Apostle Paul talked about it in Philippians chapter 2. He said, one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So that's where we start. We start with Jesus acknowledging Jesus is Lord. That's how we live under the Lordship of Christ, acknowledging. Now, there's a second thing, though. Let's go back to our sentence. I listen to the teaching of Jesus the Lord. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Now, when Jesus says listens, what he means is seeks to understand, um, uh, is a learner, it's not just the, the red letters of the Bible. It's not just the, the stories of Jesus' life. It's embracing all of the Word of God from Genesis through Revelation, just like Jesus embraced all of the Word of God. And I want to ask you, do you do that? Do you have an appreciation for what Jesus said and all of the Word of God? It's important. Now, I want to ask us just a couple of questions. How do you do that? How do you listen? And then why should we listen? Let's start with how. Years ago, I, I came up with, I didn't come up with it, I, I came across a, an illustration that helped me think through how I could absorb God's word into my life. It's just a simple hand illustration. Forgive me if you know this so well. But the little pinky, that's, that's listen. That's what we're doing right now. You're, you're, you're listening to me talk about the word of God. Or maybe it's on the radio or the television, whatever, but that's an important part of it. The ring finger is the idea of reading. I hope you read your Bible. Last week when I held up my very first Bible, I told you the very first place I ever read was in the little letter of 1 John. Maybe you want to start there if you've never read at all, but start somewhere because God's Word is alive and it's, it, it, it can penetrate our hearts and bring us to a new understanding of who God is. The middle finger is this idea of study. The difference between reading and studying is a pencil. It's also maybe getting the type of Bible that it can help you study. I'm going to tell you right now, my favorite Bible in the whole world. I gave my dad one. I gave so many other people this Bible. It's called the Life Application Study Bible. It just has so many good insights, not just the history and the the background, but how it applies to our lives, the Life Application Study Bible. But it's also important to memorize. Now, sometimes when we hear the word memorize, you think, I can't memorize anything. I've heard that so many, I can't memorize anything. Oh yeah? Let's all stand up and sing Jingle Bells. We know it. Let's all stand up and sing Joy to the World. We know it. Let's stand up and sing Happy Birthday. We know it, right? We can memorize. 
The importance of memorizing Scripture is taking it deep into our hearts so that we own it. The last one is this, to meditate and reflect. That just means to, to whatever I'm reading, to ask, what are, how does this apply in my life? Is there a, is there a sin to confess? Is there something to do? Is, is there a command to obey, whatever it is, the importance of meditate, reflecting. That's really important. In fact, um, if I were to hold my Bible up like this, you see my four fingers, listen, read, study, memorize. But without that thumb there, it just drops out. Right? You could easily take it out of my hand, but with my thumb there, you couldn't. That's why we absorb God's word into our heart. Now, that's, that's, those are some ways to, to take God's word into our heart. I hope you're doing that. I hope you're doing that. But why? why? Why look at God's word? Why is that so important? There are a lot of places in Scripture we could look to answer that question. Um, a couple of Verses that we might want to consider from Joshua 1, verse 8. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then you will prosper and succeed in all you do. Can you look up there and say, hmm, why should I read God's word? Well, hey, the ideas of success and prosperity, those stand out. Now, don't listen to the guys on television. (laughs) Understand this that God gets to define what prosperity and success looks like, and I vote for that in my life. It's important to take that into our lives. So uh, 2 Timothy says this. It just says Timothy there, but it should say 2 Timothy. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Now, when you look at those, we think, well, now why is Scripture so important? Why is it so important to listen to Jesus, to listen to the Word of God? You can see it right there. All Scripture is inspired by God. God reveals Himself in Scripture. If you want to know what God is like, don't listen to the guy in the street. Look at it for yourself in God's Word, and you'll find out exactly what it's like. You'll find out exactly how, what you're like. You'll find out the purpose for your life. You'll find out how to connect with God. It also shows us the right road to be on and the wrong road to stay off of. There's so many different ways that Scripture helps us. I hope, hope that you're taking this idea of listening to Jesus, listening to the Word of God seriously. Back to how. Here at the church, we talk about Rose, circle, and chair. The, the rows, that's what we we're in right now. We're in rows. We're learning the Word of God. We also come to worship and look up and say, thank you, God, so much. Our circle time, we have, we have different support groups and we have different service groups, but we have study groups, too, where you learn to, you, more about the Word of God, looking into it, asking hard questions. And then that chair time is your personal time with God, where you open the Bible on your lap or on your phone, and you ask yourself the questions, how does this apply to my life? Those are all important. Jesus said, listen to my teaching. These are ways that we do that. So how do we live as if Jesus is Lord? We acknowledge him as Lord, and then we listen to him, but we also need to go. Row, circle, chair, go. That means following 
This is what it says. I follow the teachings of Jesus the Lord. This is what Matthew said, or what uh, Jesus said. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. You see the word follow there. The idea is, the, the idea is obedience. Recently on Facebook, uh, I saw uh, it was this. I've seen other videos of this too, but it was an above-ground pool, and somebody accidentally sliced the side of it. I think they were like cutting a watermelon with their sword, and they went too far, and they sliced the side of their above-ground pool, and the and the pool just flooded the entire backyard. That doesn't help. The the water belongs inside the pool structure. Maybe you've been camping and you've built a campfire and a fire ring. You don't really have to tell anybody. Don't go carrying the, you know, uh, uh, wood with uh, with fire on it through the woods. We don't want it. We don't want the fire outside the ring. Or, or many of us live right near the tracks where, where the trains go east and west all the time. It's a good thing they stay on their tracks. Otherwise, it would be a train wreck. I think sometimes, as Christians, we can tend to think God's word, God's will, the teachings of Jesus are too constrictive. It's keeping me from having fun. I won't be happy. It's inconvenient. I'd rather be outside the fire ring. I'd rather run off the track. I'd rather be outside the pool. But that's not where we belong. Jesus is the Lord. He created you. He created me. He made us for himself, and he knows us better than we know ourselves, and he loves us, and he wants what's best for us. And the truth is, when we obey the will of God, when we follow the teaching of Jesus, that is where we will find the deepest satisfaction and the deepest joy for our lives. Paul writes these words. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to, the, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. I, I think for, for too long in my life, I, I probably didn't honor God enough with my finances. I mean, I knew what Scripture said about our finances, how to look right at our finances, but it took too long for me to bring myself into alignment with what God's will is. I think probably for too long I allowed myself to look at things on television that I shouldn't be looking. I wasn't good for my soul. But eventually brought myself into alignment with what I know to be true in God's Word. I could go on and on. We all have things that we struggle with, right? That's, that's the Christian life. It's a, it's a struggle, but God tries to get our attention. How is God trying to get your attention? Through what you've learned in the Word of God or maybe how God's Spirit is sort of poking at your conscience. I wrote down some things that are rather typical in terms of things that people deal with. Just the issue of relationships. Are you maybe in a relationship right now that you know shouldn't be in? It's time to get out. Or you're doing things within that relationship you know you shouldn't be doing. Or maybe it's the issue of sexuality. Things you're looking at or thinking about you know. 
It's time to move on. Or maybe it's the issue of money, and, and perhaps your life is marked more by, more by stinginess than it is by generosity. Or is it related to your future and just giving into the fears and the anxieties and afraid to move forward into a place where you know God is calling you. Or maybe it's just the idea of Bible intake. You've heard us talk for so long about read your Bible, read your Bible. Maybe it's time. Or just integrity at the workplace. Are you a peach or are you an orange? Maybe it's time to just tell somebody I'm a Christian. It's important that we do that. Openly confess. Why? Why do all of these things? Because he is the Lord. Not that he wants to lord it over us. He is the Lord who has created us. And it is, it is there in those next steps of following him we will find the deepest satisfaction and the deepest joy. It's an ongoing thing. But it's important. And just a practical benefit. And this is what Jesus goes on to say after the sentence we've been looking at. When those, when those rains start coming, when those floodwaters start coming, when the wind starts beating against your house, against your life, and you've lived in a way that suggests that Jesus is Lord, you will stand strong. Up here I have, uh, this is, when you walk in, in our house in the front door, there's a table in front of you, and you'll see this little, this is a little nativity scene. This is, this is ours. And uh, so I have, uh, actually, I should have taken this off earlier here. I have Jesus in a bag. Don't quote me on that. But here, here's little Lord Jesus. This is like the littlest Lord Jesus ever. But he sits right here in this little manger scene, and then we'll have cows and sheep and Joseph and Mary and shepherds and an angel hanging down. And uh, this is, you know, you might have something out in your front yard or something much more elaborate, a yadre or something like that that's really expensive. It doesn't matter. This season, this Christmas season, when you walk by that nativity scene, just look at the, the little Lord Jesus. He's little, he's the Lord, and he's Jesus, but he grew up, and he lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live, and he absorbed your sin and my sin onto himself, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the quick and the dead, and one day he will rule over all the earth, and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, and he calls us to live as if that is true. And there's no better way. Let's pray together. As I pray, I'm going to pray these familiar words. Let this be our prayer. Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask thee to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care and fit us for heaven to live with thee there. Jesus, would you help us to live as if you are Lord. Give us hearts for you, to love you, to honor you with our lives. Whatever that means. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.